It's the 25th of February, 2018, and this is episode 357 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Andreas Antonopoulos. Hello. And Elizabeth Stark, CEO and co-founder of Lightning Labs. Hi, everyone. We're talking about Lightning, and specifically the Lightning Network, kind of the topic du jour in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency broadly for the last couple of years in terms of how do we actually scale this thing that we call decentralized blockchains. It's been a wild ride. Going from a project that was in a very small segment of the Bitcoin community people thought was exciting to you know a much wider audience and people understanding you know why Lightning is significant has certainly been fascinating. All of a sudden we became cool. I'm not quite sure how it happened and maybe we won't be cool for that long, but We'll be doing this regardless. It's also like the price goes up, the price goes down. When I first got involved, you know, the price of Bitcoin uh, with Lightning, that is, was 200 bucks. So things have changed a lot since then, but we love the tech. Have you become numb to all of the changes at this point and just completely buried in the work? Or are you still kind of poking your head up and keeping informed on kind of all the craziness that surrounds us? Well, one of the things about just being in the Bitcoin community and the cryptocurrency community more broadly is every day there's new information, new drama, new data. So I do, I definitely try to keep up with it. I actually got the sense lately that things have calmed down a little bit in the Bitcoin world, in the sense of the constant soap opera that we have been experiencing for the past like 12 months. It's a little weird. I, right now I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, something crazy is about to happen, but we'll take a little bit of the quiet given all that we need to build and all that we've been working on. Yeah, I'm into that. On a recent episode, we had a discussion about Lightning Network and talked about some of our perceptions of it and kind of where the technology is going right now. But we don't really know what we're talking about. And you're kind of stuck into the middle of it. So before we get into that, can you kind of just give us a brief working definition of how you think about Lightning? And what do you actually call it? Do you call it Lightning Network or just Lightning? Yeah, my startup are called Lightning Labs. I know it gets a little confusing with all there's also like Litecoin, Light clients, Lightning and Litecoin, all sorts of things with light in them. The protocol I typically tend to refer to as Lightning Network. That was the original paper. I helped to edit that paper back in the day. But people like to shorten things, right? So I think a lot of folks have also just called it Lightning for short. There is a specification that quite a few of us have been involved in, the Lightning RFC, that recently released its 1.0 release candidate. There's a whole GitHub repo for that. And some of the main contributors were Lightning Labs, Async, this French company, developers of the Eclair implementation, and then Rusty and Christian over at Blockstream, who are working on the C Lightning implementation. So it's been an interoperable process with people that were involved in the specification. And then quite a few other people got involved, were on the calls, were making uh, PRs and edits to the specification and things like that. So that was cool. So there's basically just one standards effort essentially pushing forward with Lightning. And then there are several different implementations that are being done by different teams. Is that about right? Yeah, there's a main standards process that there are quite a few implementations now that are conforming to it. There are also some folks working on projects that are a little off that aren't part of the implementation uh, standard. But I think from our standpoint, we want this to be interoperable. We want this to be one network. So sometimes people like to say lightning networks, plural. And my point is, it should be like the Internet, you know. There's no internet unless you're like using internet memes or whatever. Similarly, I believe it's one network, even when you have, say, cross-blockchain transactions. So last November, we did the first ever Lightning Atomic Cross-Chain swap between Test Bitcoin and Test Litecoin. Uh, Connor on our team uh, did that demo, and people were really excited about that. I still believe that means that there's one Lightning network, and people are just using different blockchains to talk to each other involving it. In the early days, we used to laugh at Ripple. <laughs> 
<laughs> because uh, because Ripple had this concept of extending liquidity to other people within your network that they could default on that, right? They could actually choose not to kind of pay it back. I remember there were trust lines. Exactly, yep. right? And so at the time, it was like, why why would you do something like that if you could just use transactions that use Bitcoin? It's so much simpler and you don't have to trust anybody. And isn't that what we're doing here after all? And I see shades of that in what's going on with Lightning, but it doesn't work the same way. What Ripple accomplishes by essentially extending debt between parties, Lightning is able to accomplish without using debt. How is Lightning doing that? One important thing about Lightning Network that some people don't realize is they ask, okay, what's, you know, what's the coin for Lightning? Does it have a token? And then sometimes I'll say the official cryptocurrency of Lightning is Satoshi's, which obviously is just eight decimal places over Bitcoin. So I'm like, any exchange that'll sell you Bitcoin will sell you Satoshi's. Lightning does not have a separate coin or separate currency. It's a layer two that operates on top of an existing blockchain. So it was originally conceived as an answer to the scalability problem on Bitcoin. Of course, the speed and the fee aspects are key to that as well. But for example, when Litecoin activated SegWit back in May, we added support for Litecoin and LND, which is our Lightning implementation, stands for Lightning Network Daemon. So right now we have support for both Bitcoin and Litecoin. Lightning does not have its own currency. So Lightning is really a layer that operates on top of an existing currency. And I think one important point is the base layer blockchain global consensus. That's how Satoshi solved the double spend problem. Lightning accomplishes what it does by using local consensus between participants. If you had to broadcast every transaction to all the full nodes in the network, that would be inherently inefficient. And that's part of why we have scalability issues in the first place. And let's please not get into a block size debate, because I think we've had quite a few number of years on that already. <laughs> to have the entire world you know, using Bitcoin, we're going to need to build layers on top of that. And one thing that I like to analogize this to is the layers of the internet. So we didn't actually have all of the technologies that could be built onto the internet in one layer or layers dumb as they were called back in the day but the whole idea is that they would be simple and you'd have complexity at the endpoints and that would actually not be built into the base layer protocol so conceptually you could think of something where you keep the bitcoin base layer not terribly complex and you can build more complexity up the stack and as you build those layers on top of it I sort of think of Lightning as an off-chain system that uses on-chain actions in order to sort of disintermediate the risks of it being an off-chain system, but keep all the benefits. Is that the correct way to think about this? One analogy we like to use is the blockchain functions as a judge or a court. And on Lightning, you're signing contracts. And kind of like in real life, not all contracts go to court. But the court is always there to enforce the contract. In most cases, you're not going to have to go to the base layer blockchain, especially if you want to transact, say, like thousands of times per second or more. But the blockchain is always there to secure it. So the difference, though, is that with a human court, there's a judge who can make a determination and maybe you have a very convincing argument and the judge will be swayed one way or another. But on Lightning, these contracts are pre-signed. So the outcome is predetermined. So you know exactly what will happen if you go to the, the base court. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting way of referring to it. Hmm. Okay. For a long time, this was kind of a hypothetical or very much testnet sort of deployment. But over the last couple of months, we've seen Lightning make the jump from a sort of early R&D to the first hints of kind of a live network. Even against the recommendations of quite a lot of devs. Yeah, well, I, and that, that was actually sort of the question is really like, where are we with Lightning? Because it seems like the network is growing and it seems like excitement around it is growing. So is there something that normal people will be able to use within the next six months? Or are we still very early in the process and this is just people getting excited again? 
over a year ago now, and I can't believe it's been that long, we actually released our first alpha of LND, which is our implementation of Lightning. It's written in Golang. It's up on GitHub. Interestingly, we'd actually had code out for a year prior. So anybody that checked out our GitHub repo could have seen the code. But it was it's almost it's funny how that repo didn't really get as much press and PR, even though it was out there to the world. So we had our first official alpha release back then. And since then, we've had this awesome community of testers. And there's some community members who joined. We have a Slack for implementation LND. We now have over 1,600 people and a lot of developers, testers. It's a technical group. But there are people that test our software every day. And this is one of the things I love about being involved in Bitcoin. Like they're, they're just like, they, they love lightning so much. This is what they do. And they're, they're enthusiasts. They're super passionate about that. Certainly we would not be here without them and the awesome contributions that these testers have made. Another really cool thing. So people think of lightning as a scalability layer, but I think they don't necessarily know the potential for it as an application development layer. With the implementation that we've been working on, one of our goals was to make it very developer friendly. So last summer, we hired an intern. His name is Max Fang from Berkeley. And his job was to put together comprehensive developer docs and tutorials. So we have those up at dev.lightning.community. For LND, we have a gRPC and a REST API for developers to build on top of. And we've actually seen, uh, for example, Jack Mahlers, I don't know if you guys know him, built this really cool wallet, Zap, on LND. Uh, this a dev named Alex Bosworth has built a variety of different websites on top of LND, including one called yalls.org, named by my co-founder Lalo, aka Roast Beef, that enables article micropayments using Lightning. Here's this layer. It helps scalability, helps speed. It means the fees can be low, but also turns out it's a really good way for developers to build on top of Bitcoin, in part because you don't have, want to have to wait 10 minutes for confirmation. You don't want to have the transaction limits of like five to 10 you know, transactions per second when you're building certain types of apps, like wanting in-game payments or even merchant use cases. So we've seen a lot of that in the past. Like Even before we had dev documentation, developers just started building on top of our implementation. And that was awesome. We were like, wow, there's demand for this. So we're seeing more and more of that. Our biggest milestone that has not yet happened yet will be the mainnet beta for LND. As we discussed, a lot of people were so excited that they started using our software with real Bitcoin before we felt that it was ready. Always good to have excitement. Unfortunately, one of the downsides of that is there are breaking changes that we just had happen and, and there may be a few more in the works before our beta which means that people that were using an old version of LND will, on mainnet will then have to go and close their mainnet channels. And there are certain features around safety and security we want to make sure that get in there because it turns out when you're using test Bitcoin, you have very different security parameters than when you're using real Bitcoin. Our number one question is when mainnet? Like, you know, people love to ask that. And my answer is as soon as you possibly can. But honestly, I don't even know because this is software development. And it's also funny because some Reddit trolls love to say, you've been working on this in 2015. Why is it taking so long? And my response is, turns out it takes a while to build cryptographic protocols that deal with financial information that are secure and robust. And Jameson Lobb actually had a really great tweet in response to like, when will Lightning be released? And his point is, it's ongoing. There's no one date when it's released. Like this is an iterative process and, you know, more and more developers come on board, mean a beta, then there'll be further releases. So I believe that it's, it's just going to be a rollout and it'll keep happening.
So I think there's the difficulty of like being able to predict development times, right? That's really, really hard in and of itself. But I guess the thing that I'm most curious about here is, are there known unknowns, unknown unknowns that you guys are still thinking are ahead? Or is it pretty much, you know, we've solved the hard problems and now it's just about iterating and making sure that this is really safe and secure at this point? Are we out of the kind of experimental woods yet? Or and, and like to that sort of honing time? Or is this still really kind of basic development? It's still pretty early. So it's also funny because I feel like everybody in this broader community wants us to be far farther along than we are. And, and of course, the infrastructure just is not there yet. Right. So, I mean, and this is not just speaking to Bitcoin, but in the broader community, I mean, cute kitties on the Ethereum blockchain. It turns out like that takes up a large, you know, portion of transaction capacity. And that was a wake up call in terms of, you know, scalability constraints of public decentralized chains. So I do think people want us to be farther along than we are. And this stuff just does take time and infrastructure is needed. So to me, lightning is crucial infrastructure that is needed for the next generation of people using Bitcoin. If we're going to teach this to the world, if we're going to have app developers build on top of it, integrations, payments, you know, any of these use cases that aren't just storing and holding. And I believe Bitcoin can enable a lot of those. There are a lot of questions that we have that are still unanswered, but we've thought about. It's rare where somebody asks a question and we say, we hadn't thought about that. I mean, clearly there are a lot of, you know, this is all new experimental technology. Sometimes people like to use that against us. They'll be like, this is experimental. I'm thinking Bitcoin is still in beta. There's a, Bitcoin doesn't have a 1.0, right? And from my standpoint, people got excited. They wanted to use mainnet. And my issue with that was at least when they're using our software, it wasn't yet ready. There were security aspects we hadn't included yet. I understand that these are people are enthusiastic. I mean, it's certainly a good sign when you tell people not yet and they're so enthusiastic they want to do it. Right. <laughs> this is a marathon and this is not a sprint. So we're in this for the long term. We're thinking of, of long term problems. So one thing you often see, and I'm sure, Andreas, you've seen this very much as well in the Bitcoin community, is there are lots of ideas that people have had and talked about, but nobody's formally written it up yet. And you're like, oh, there might be some IRC log or some like random mailing list reference. And I've seen this a lot in hanging out with the devs. So now we're a little bit guilty of that. We're like, so we have about 10 blog posts that we want to put out there about certain concepts that we're, you know, working on and, and interesting ways that lightning can be used or it's not like modifying the protocol per se, but certain cool things that can be done with it. So for example, Andreas, have you heard of splicing? Have you followed them the mailing list yet? I've been following the mailing list, so I have some confessions to make. So first of all, I've been following the mailing list since the day the mailing list was launched and paying a lot of attention to all of the various conversations that are happening there. And I've also started running a node as soon as the alpha was out. My confession is that I've been running a mainnet node for about a month now. Um, in fact, I've, I've already made some payments on it. And I, in a very ill-advised manner, have put about $100 worth of Bitcoin is running on my node so far so good. I've done some purchases and I'm starting an experiment whereby in February this month, I intend to do my first payroll run for my employees as a lightning payment, not as a Bitcoin payment on mainnet this month. I think I saw that. Maybe you tweeted it or posted it on the Slack. Yeah, well, I forgive you, but definitely note that the breaking changes are coming. Yeah, so. I know that. And, and, and it, we might need to close some channels and we might lose some money. But to me, I think it's important to put skin in the game 
And I actually took better care of configuring my Lightning node and making sure it was robust and the server was secure when I actually was running it on net, when I was running it on, on testnet. So it's a learning experience in itself. And it's fairly easy. I mean, quite honestly, I had to hack LND to do it because you don't have the support for mainnet. I had to change about nine lines in the code. Intentionally. <laughs> in order to, to get it to work. And that was a learning experience too. Actually, it was the first time I did a deep dive into the code in order to understand how it works. So all of that, I think, is positive for me, at least, even though I know you don't endorse yet the use of the, of the protocol on mainnet. But yeah, I've been following a lot of these new ideas from splicing to multipath, atomic multipath, various other things about rebalancing channels, a lot of really interesting ideas above and beyond the basic protocol that is ready today. Exactly. So, for example, um, at a very high level, there's this concept called splicing, and I, I do want us to write a blog post about it soon on our to-do list, where there are a few things that can happen. The first is, if you have a channel that is open and you want to add funds to it, instead of closing the channel, then opening a new channel, you could have the channel operating continuously and using, we have a construction that can be one on-chain transaction, there are some on the mailing list that have had two, where you could add funds to a lightning channel without closing it. So you can actually kind of top up a channel, which can be really cool in terms of some aspects of liquidity on the network. So we call that splice in. And then there's an idea where you can splice out, which means when you're closing a lightning channel, not only would you close the channel, but in the same transaction, you can send an outbound a Bitcoin transaction as well. So that can all be done in one transaction, which can make things much more efficient than having to wait for a confirmation and then doing another on-chain transaction. I was particularly fascinated by this discussion on atomic multipath. And this is really interesting because it further changes the balance between centralization and decentralization on Lightning Network. You know, there's, there's a few people who are concerned or even perhaps convinced that Lightning will operate via centralized hubs, which I don't think is the case. But one of the arguments for it is the idea that if you don't have a channel big enough to make a payment and you want to make a big payment, then you either have to open a new channel or you have to use a hub or you have to have a lot of funds within the channels, which then means that it encourages you to have bigger, fewer channels rather than more smaller channels. And so one interesting development is this atomic multipath, which is the idea that let's say I have a node and I have four channels now, and each one of those has, let's say, 20 millibits. So I have 80 millibits across all of my four channels. That means that I can do a 20 millibit payment maximum on any one of the channels, but I can't do bigger than 20 right now. And that's a bit of a problem. So why not just have one channel that's 80 millibits to one bigger hub, and then I can make a bigger payment on that channel or several small ones. And so that seems to lead towards more centralization. It doesn't make for a very robust network. So atomic multipath is basically the idea that I can use all four channels to transmit a payment to one recipient where the payment gets routed over all four channels arriving at a different time from a different route and converging on the recipient, kind of the way you take a big IP packet fragmented into four IP packets, they get routed independently and then get reassembled on the other side. But 
Of course, the keyword there is atomic, meaning that you can't cash one of the payments without all four arriving. So it's either all or nothing, which protects both the sender and the recipient. And that's pretty much something that can be implemented without major changes to the protocol, without any changes to the protocol, and implemented on the client side, effectively, with some additional logic with the existing protocol as is on the Lightning Network. I think that's very exciting because that then means if you can aggregate the value of all of your channels, then a more robust node is one that's connected with lots of small channels rather than one big one, and you pay no downside by doing that. You still have the full capacity. So I think that leads to further decentralization. Andreas, a question that's come up multiple times in my conversations with other people who don't really think that Lightning is necessarily the scaling path forward has to do with what happens with that capacity after it's been used. So if you are making a big transaction and you wind up using most of essentially the capacity within your network, if I'm one of the nodes that sent $5 on, do I have $5 that have come in from you and can I use that immediately? Are there time costs or trade-offs from acting as a routing node in this? Or is it really just kind of a technical function that happens in the background and I as a user don't actually even see it? I think there's a couple of layers to that. First, that happens entirely in the background in that you don't need to worry about what channels and what capacity you have. It's not your job to know that. It's your node's job to know that just like if you have an IP routed computer, you don't need to know where the router is. You don't need to know what capacity the router has or whether one of the TCP windows on one of your TCP connections is full and is being throttled back or if quality of service has been changed or further two hops away, your packet is routed over a different network than the previous packet and needs to be reassembled on the other side. TCP IP does that. Lightning Network is a protocol. It does all of that for you. And so you don't need to worry about that. The other part of that is if I have $100 on my Lightning nodes tied up in channels, I've opened channels with those $100, I can make $100 worth of payments. And when I've made those $100 worth of payments, I can't make any more payments. So you see, this is part of the general concept of you can't spend more money than you have. It's a radical concept, I know, but some people seem confused by this. <laughs> Which, by the way, is why when people say Lightning is debt-based, I'm like, no, you're, it's 100% full reserve. But yes, go on. Right, right, exactly. So if you want to spend more than the $100 you have in the channels you have, you have to have more money. Now, there's a number of ways you can do that. And one of those ways is to receive a payment from someone. And if you receive a payment, you then have more money again. And if you receive that payment over the Lightning Network, then you don't need to open your channels. The channels you already have will have some of their balance routed back to you so that your end has more capacity again. Effectively, your wallet starts refilling over the Lightning Network. You can imagine a scenario where you could be receiving payments from an exchange over Lightning. So your paycheck is coming in. In fact, as I said, I'm doing my first payroll. So if one of my employees runs out on their payment channels and they wait until their next paycheck and more money comes in on their payment channels and they get filled. Okay. So I get that. As a person, I can't spend more on the Lightning Network than I have in terms of credit. The other side of that question though was, 
what if I put $100 into Lightning and then I don't do anything with it? I just leave it there. But in the background, it's being used to facilitate other transactions on the network. Is there any downside for me? Do I? Is there ever a point where I don't have access to some of the money because it's been used for other transactions? Or is I'll still have $100 worth of Bitcoin, but it might be someone else's Bitcoin because the network has kind of used my capacity, then given me someone else's capacity in order to balance it out. That, do you understand what I'm asking here? I understand what you're asking, but effectively, that's really a low-level problem. So if you're hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin was in two channels and now someone's opens a new channel and on that new channel they've sent you some and on the other channels you've sent some out. It doesn't really matter from your wallet's perspective, you still have the same amount of Bitcoin. It manages the allocation between channels. It, and I think the, the best way to explain this is to say this is very similar to how when you're looking at your Bitcoin wallet, Today, you don't know what UTXO you have and how much is in different UTXO. And the balance you're shown is really a fiction. It's the sum of all of the UTXO that you hold. And you may send part of some out and receive some from somewhere else, and your wallet's going to add it all up. Effectively, a lightning channel is simply UTXO that's locked to you as part of a channel. And so, again, what your wallet shows you is the sum of the UTXO you have, and you don't know what you have in each UTXO unless you look carefully, and you don't need to know what you have in each channel unless you look carefully. So you might have an advanced view on your wallet that shows you that detail, but quite honestly, you should never need to. So I think it's very analogous to how UTXO works. Okay, I understand. So as a user who's spending money on the Lightning Network, I can only spend what I have, and it may route through one or multiple sources with what you're talking about potentially in the future. But right now, it sounds like it just takes one path in the kind of current development environment. If I'm a user who puts money into the Lightning Network and I don't spend it, then it might be used in the background for routing, but it's not something that I as a user actually have to care about because it doesn't affect me or my access to the funds at all. And then as a business... I get the advantage of being able to connect essentially to the entire network through a limited number of channels, which means that I can minimize the amount of actual on-chain transactions that I use and the amount of on-chain cost that generates without having a channel open to every single person who I want to be my customer, potentially. Today's show is sponsored by EasyDNS.com. EasyDNS first started sponsoring the Let's Talk Bitcoin show back in 2013, and they fall into the early libertarian adopters camp. In today's world, it doesn't really matter if you're running a blockchain startup or just have an opinion. You want a company who thinks your rights matter at an ideological level. And for my websites, that's EasyDNS. Oh, and for those of you already living in the future, you can pay your bill with Bitcoin or Ethereum. So when you're thinking domains, mail servers, or DNS provisioning, think EasyDNS.com. There's the whole conspiracy theory that Lightning will be highly centralized into a few small hubs. My counterpoint is if you look at the topology of the test network and then even the early mainnet on Lightning. So we've always believed as one of the developer teams that Lightning would have a scale-free topology. And that's like the, the internet, right? So of course, there'll be some nodes that have more connections than others. Kind of like if I have my home server in my basement, it's not going to have as many incoming connections as, say, a Gmail server. But on the flip side, it is distributed. One thing that I found fascinating is, and of course, 
who knows how this is going to evolve, but the current topology of these networks really does seem to exhibit the scale-free topology. Also, people enjoy running nodes. You have the Bitcoin enthusiasts that say run Bitcoin full nodes. And Lightning, you don't have to run a Bitcoin full node to run a Lightning full node. And for example, with our LND implementation, so we have support for BTCD. We also have Bitcoin D support now that does require currently running a full node. I don't know, Andreas, how are, what's your configuration right now? I'm running a full Bitcoin D node. Well, I was already running several full Bitcoin D nodes. With Bitcoin D? or With Bitcoin D, yes. I'm using the latest version of Bitcoin Core for that. Awesome. So then we also have this new technology we've developed called Neutrino, which is our implementation of it, which is a light client, not following the previous SPV technology for Lightning. So LND has Neutrino built in, and right now it works with BTCD, and we're working on adding Bitcoin D support. So then when you're on a phone, for example, and you know on a laptop, you can get LND up and running using Neutrino, and that means you don't have to sync with and download the entire Bitcoin blockchain. So that's important as well. Can I just very quickly say Neutrino is one of those unappreciated or underappreciated innovations that came out of Lightning that is going to have implications for the rest of the ecosystem. It is a vast improvement over SPV wallets because it increases privacy significantly by doing the filtering on the client side instead of sending a bloom filter to the server. Is that mostly roast beef's work? It's spectacular. I saw a talk by him. So Lalu uh, Osantikon, our CTO, and our senior Bitcoin protocol developer, Alex Axelrod, it's their collaboration. Then more developers, Jim Poe from Coinbase, Blue Mat, have gotten involved and helped comment on the BIP. We recently got a BIP numbers as well. I think it's 156, but I should, don't quote me on that. I'll look it up. <laughs> so that can improve light Bitcoin clients that are not used for Lightning. Just for regular mainnet, Bitcoin can be improved with Neutrino as well. Exactly. Oh, sorry. No. So the BIP numbers are BIP 157 and 158 for the client side uh, filtering like client mode of which Neutrino is our implementation. Yeah. And I believe there's some other folks that have already been working on Neutrino. I believe Bitcoin may almost have a working or already has a working implementation there as well. So other folks have been involved. Yeah. This is another example of something that we really need to write a blog post about. So <laughs> I promise they're coming soon. But anyway, that's all to say that I, I do think there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the flow of funds and liquidity. Obviously, splicing can help out as well. So when we talked about, okay, I had $100 and I've spent it all, but let's say I don't want to close my channel and open a new one, I can actually top up and add funds to a channel that way. Of course, we have not built out splicing it, so that's one of our, on our list of cool things to do this year. But there's also the concept of negative fees, and this is something that we've talked about for years, but also probably we'll blog about at some point. The idea is somebody that's running more of a routing node. It is possible to route on a phone like, you know, LND doesn't have this client server concept, but of course the phone will be far less reliable than say a server I have spun up or something that I'm running with reliable uptime. But it's possible that somebody might even want to pay a small amount because they need funds going in a different direction on Lightning. So when it comes to say packet routing, you have the aspect of packets, but interestingly in Lightning, you also have the direction of fund flow. So it adds some new and cool and interesting questions. And we've gotten folks in the community interested in solving these problems. Again, lots of good proposals and ideas around routing. It's not something that we're concerned about. We've already built out some good proposals. People like to say, like, it'll never work because you can't route it. It's working right now and we're building out more robust routing. And one important point that I think people don't realize is there doesn't need to be one global routing algorithm, right? So different 
folks using Lightning for different reasons or priorities can actually have different ways that they use to route. And that can actually work out as well in the network. That's interesting. So you're really creating a landscape with Lightning. And then it's sort of how people interpret or use the map is sort of up to them. And there will be best practices and standards, certainly. But ultimately, people can do what they want with it because it's just sort of a topology, like you're saying. One quick point I want to backtrack on. You mentioned that Lightning is like the internet and that that's kind of a good analogy for it and that there aren't multiple internets. This is something of a kind of nitpicky question, but I'm just genuinely curious. The other example that you mentioned was Litecoin. And Litecoin and Bitcoin are both built on that kind of UTXO framework where there are little specific kind of chunks of Bitcoin that can be locked up. Something like Ethereum doesn't have the concept of UTXO as being instead built around kind of a check money account debit and balance system. Is that something that winds up being compatible with this framework or is an innovation that really does require UTXOs? It doesn't. There's a member of our community, his name's Rick Dudley, who has already specced out how to build a compatible lightning on Ethereum. So he has a lot of really cool ideas on this. I certainly invite developers and members of the community that want to build compatible lightning on Ethereum. We've been focused on Bitcoin. Uh, certainly the origins of the original proposal are around Bitcoin and Litecoin is obviously very similar to Bitcoin with a few parameters changed. But there's nothing stopping somebody from building this actually on Ethereum as well. And my understanding is Ethereum had a malleability fix from day one, from as far as I understand. Yes, they also are building a similar concept called Raiden on Ethereum, which is a payment channel network on top of Ethereum, but specific to Ethereum and not compatible with kind of the broader lightning protocols or Bolt as specified in the RFC. Exactly. And we're very familiar with that, but I'm talking about a compatible where the HTLCs will work across chains, the hash time lock contracts. There's no reason why any blockchain that can do a few basic cryptographic primitives that can lock funds for time or have some kind of smart contract capability that allows you to do a release of funds based on a hash or time lock. Those fundamental primitives exist in Ethereum, but they also exist in, in many other blockchains that, ha- that don't have uh, UTXO. And I think that's also one of the underappreciated aspects of this, which is that Lightning Network can really take us to the next level where you have, like the internet was the concept of a network of networks. This is more the concept of an intra-blockchain network that allows you to fluidly move from any blockchain to any blockchain. And I think that's a really exciting application. Totally agree. Bram Cohen, who's a friend of ours and actually an advisor to Lightning Labs, recently tweeted, Lightning Network can work on any cryptocurrency which has even extremely minimal scripting capabilities. Anyone who claims their project needs a major upgrade to support Lightning doesn't know what Lightning does. So he was effectively making the same point uh, that you just did, Andreas, in terms of the fact that a lot of currencies can support this. Even Bitcoin Cash, which doesn't have a malleability fix. And you don't strictly need a malleability fix. It just makes it more complicated to do the channel monitoring. Well, also indefinite channel duration. So the idea that if you don't want to have a set date that your channel will expire. So Bram actually considered a malleability fix as an extremely minimal upgrade. <laughs> so, of course, it's, it's fun to get into these debates as to what's minimal and what's not minimal. Certainly far preferable with a malleability fix. 
and just to clarify, that malleability fix does not have to be SegWit. You don't need SegWit to do this. Any malleability fix, for example, one of the ones that I think was being considered on Bitcoin Cash was flex transactions, which is an, an alternative approach to achieving the same kind of malleability fix as a SegWit that doesn't use the SegWit. And that would absolutely enable the full-blown unlimited channel life capability of Lightning between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. I think the big takeaway from my perspective that I actually wasn't really thinking about Lightning as something that is sort of like a network above all of the networks. But if you think about it, in the last two years, really, we have seen a huge focus on bridging blockchains and nobody's really pulled it off yet. And almost every attempt I see to do it actually uses a blockchain underlying it in order to do that, which has always struck me as sort of a silly kind of a silly approach because it's hard to patch the deficiencies of something if you're using it as your fundamental structure for doing that patching. So Lightning seems like it sort of might indeed be the right solution because it uses kind of whatever fundamentals are available on on whatever chain we're talking about. Right now we're talking about Bitcoin, but it sounds like kind of the sky's the limit. And it's also the sort of thing where the network effect of Bitcoin will kind of be imbued into Lightning as that happens. And so it will be an opportunity for all of these disparate protocols to sort of use Lightning and opt into the Bitcoin network effect, perhaps creating a multi-chain effect that we've seen in aggregate in kind of the space, but without any sort of intercompatibility between those things. Is that the vision that you see for Lightning, Elizabeth? Kind of how, you know, three, four years out, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, project 10 years out, three years is long enough. Kind of what, what, what do you actually think the world looks like with Lightning in practice? Yeah, I mean... I like that vision a lot. And this is one of the things where three years ago we were talking about cross-chain swaps and, you know, that had been a very obscure aspect of, of you know, certain technical forums that people had talked about like several years prior. And part of the reason why we did our demo of the first ever Lightning cross-chain swap was to show the world that Lightning can be this compatible network to enable transactions between currencies without having to trust an exchange or central party. So I think two of the really underappreciated aspects of Lightning. Everyone thinks of Lightning as a scalability solution, and certainly it, it has ways that it can help solve scalability. I will say that I've been very adamant about the fact that Lightning is not a panacea. It does not solve all problems of Bitcoin or, or all scalability problems for that matter. I think it's a really important part of the ecosystem, but you know we're not going to solve every problem Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies have ever had. But to me, the key takeaways are one, application development layer. I gave a talk last summer at the Blockstack Summit, where at the end I alluded to, talked about layers of the internet, analogizing layer two technologies, of which Lightning is, of course, the one that I'm working on, and how you can have a layer three. And it's always fun to get into these debates of what does a layer three mean? But I view a layer three as a protocol that is built on top of Lightning that then is built on top of, say, a base layer blockchain like Bitcoin. So you can envision a smart contracting layer, an algorithmic trading layer, and a variety of cool protocols that can be built on top of Lightning. There's also the concept of channel factories, which was this cool paper that Christian Decker was an author on over at Blockstream. And then some people have said, well, then maybe Lightning is layer three and channel factories are layer two, can enable multiple parties to fund uh, Lightning channels from this other layer. But yeah, we can, we can get into those fun debates later. But then also, when it comes to the interoperability of assets, Bitcoin is the global reserve cryptocurrency. And I do see the idea that you will clear via Bitcoin if you're trading other assets to be an important part of that. And Lightning can help enable that. So right now, I feel like decentralized exchange technology is really trendy and cool. And we're, of course, huge fans of Lightning cross-chain swaps. And then once you have those swaps, there are cool decentralized exchange technologies you can build on top of it. But at the same time, I think people want it to happen sooner than it's actually feasible to happen. And like some people were tweeting, it'll be ready next month. And 
And I responded like, no, we're building the swaps. They're not going to be ready yet. We have a lot of other things going on. But in terms of the three to five year timeline, absolutely. Lightning can serve to enable people to transact without having to use central exchanges or trusting central parties. Again, internally, we have some really cool ideas around how to do off-chain a decentralized exchange type technology where users can rely on the underlying blockchain to secure things as opposed to a central party that can then get hacked or compromised. One of the things that people probably don't know about the LND, which is the Lightning Network daemon, the foundational node protocol implementation that your company, Lightning Labs, has built, is that it comes with some very interesting interfaces. There's a command line interface that allows you to do some neat stuff. One of the first things I contributed to that was using the command line interface to build a visual graph of the network. And yeah, and I, I'm happy to see that that then became a kind of a built-in component and people have extended it. And in, in fact, people keep posting pictures of both mainnet and testnet graphs since then. But the command line is, is, is great and it's, it can do some basic scripting stuff. But what's really interesting is the gRPC interface. And I, I just wanted to, to talk about that. So gRPC, for those who, who don't know, is an open source RPC or remote procedure call framework. Uh, Bitcoin D has an RPC interface. LND has a gRPC interface, which is basically RPC, but wrapped with the Google protobuf protocol buffers as an interface description language. If you are a developer and you haven't heard of gRPC, look into it. It's, it's definitely very interesting. What I think people miss about this is that it makes it very, very, very easy to write clients that interface in a very rich and high-performance way with a server. And LND essentially acts as the application server and then through the gRPC protocol, you can build things. You can build things like Jack did with the Zap wallet, uh, so user interface things that are polished and beautiful and all of that. You can build server-side applications like stores, accounting systems, etc. But all of these can be built with a very, very simple set of interfaces because of gRPC. I think that's fascinating. Can you tell us a bit more about gRPC and also what kinds of things you're seeing people build with it? Well, yeah. So right now we have both the gRPC interface and the REST API, and we're like a bit biased toward the gRPC side of things just because of the capabilities it enables. So credit goes to Lalo, my co-founder and CTO from day one, from really seeing the potential in the way that devs could build on top of this. I think so every day on our Slack. So by the way, we have um, a Slack for LND developers and testers. It's grown pretty dramatically. We have like 1,600 people on it right now, new folks coming on every day. And every day there's, there's a new application. Like it's kind of like, oh, I just browse the Slack and people are like, oh, I built this thing, I built that thing. And to me, using gRPC has really enabled this developer community, I think, to spin up and start building applications pretty quickly and easily in a way that they wouldn't have been able to had we not really thought through that in the beginning. One other important point I should make, though, is we do have there are a variety of UIs for LND and then other Lightning implementations generally. So this is not merely a command line thing. 
as mentioned, Jack Mellers has a Zap app. We have an app that we built at Lightning Labs called the Lightning Desktop app. We may be renaming that soon, which is a cross-platform desktop app built in React, among other things. And then we're also working on a mobile app at some point soon as well. Eclair, the French implementation made by Asenq, they have a mobile app as well. So we're seeing UIs as well. And I do think there's this interesting, the developer side of things where like they're used to command line, but then the end users that want to have a user interface and have it be more compelling. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is actually the user experience side of things. I really liked, Andreas, your analogy earlier to the UTXO side of things. You're right. Like in a Bitcoin wallet, the user's not thinking about the combination of UTXOs. So I think that's something that we can bring into the user experience with a wallet that supports Lightning and, and really enabling a lot of the complexity to be abstracted from the end user. And then, of course, we're going to have the power users and they're going to want the settings or people that are going to want to run nodes that are more focused on routing to get some fees in order to do so, which, by the way, as we know, the fees are going to be much lower on Lightning. So it's not like you're going to be able to get a block reward <laughs> for routing some payments with a Lightning node. But yeah, I do think that early choice helped us in terms of the developer community. I was chatting with somebody today who made a great point of like, see where the developers are going. And that's a good metric. And I am really excited to see that developers are coming to Lightning and are getting excited about it and are building on top of it. And to me, that's been a really exciting sign. I don't know why the comparison comes to mind, but with the multiple implementations at kind of the protocol level, honestly, it reminds me of some of the excitement that it feels like we've seen out of the Ethereum community over the last couple of years where people are really just focused on the building as opposed to on kind of other stuff like we get caught up in in the Bitcoin community. So that's very exciting to see. Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time. If people are interested in getting involved, what's that Slack channel for people who want to kind of get involved with the development community? Where else can people be helpful or where would you put, point new people to? My co-founder Lalo has a saying that we've adopted in our company, and it's basically ignore the noise and keep on building. So certainly there's been a lot of noise and craziness lately in our community, but our focus is absolutely on building and getting that developer community. I'd recommend people for LNDR implementation, check out dev.lightning.community. We have that dev and tester Slack. It is focused on people that are building. Uh, the invite link is up on that site and there's a tutorial and we also have api.lightning.community and that has a whole tutorial and set of docs for the grpc api stuff as well and there's some rest stuff thanks for listening to this episode of let's talk bitcoin today's show was sponsored by easydns.com and featured content from elizabeth stark andreas antonopoulos and adam b levine today's show was edited by matthew zipkin it also featured music by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Email Adam at letstalkbitcoin.com with any questions or comments. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin.